You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Here is the letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So your first question might be, why are we looking at Philemon when we just got done going through the book of Colossians? We were doing a series uh, through the book of Colossians, Christ is Supreme, a study through the book of Colossians, and then we end that and we jump immediately into Philemon. Well, it's a great question, but I don't think it's that mysterious when you read the book. It actually makes a lot of sense 
In fact, if you get a lot of commentaries uh, on Colossians, a lot of times they'll put Philemon right in there with it. it, it they kind of they go together. They're not lined up here, but as we'll see, they, they have a very strong relationship. As we finish the book of Colossians, you might put your finger just in the book of Colossians to look at uh, because the, the, of the similarity. But as we finished up the book of Colossians last week, we see in the end of chapter 4, the middle of chapter 4, verse 9, he's sending these letters back. And he says, Tychicus, or Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him... Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Onesimus comes up in this letter at the end of Colossians. Paul obviously has sent this letter back, the letter to the church at Colossae, along with this letter to a personal letter to Philemon who lives in Colossae. And so he describes Onesimus as this faithful brother, this fellow soldier in the gospel, and he sends him back along with Tychicus and this letter. So when you read the book of Philemon, you begin to see one of the main topics is Onesimus. Who is this guy? What's going on with Onesimus? And so you can see the close relationship of the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon. They, they both have to do with they came with Onesimus. Philemon is a lot about Onesimus. And so they just have a strong relationship. All of these New Testament epistles are what is classified as occasional letters. Occasional, isn't that occasional that we got epistle, we've got occasional letters. And all of that means is that these, these letters were written for a certain occasion. There was something going on and Paul is answering or writing back to them. The church of Colossae had some false teaching going on. They were struggling. Paul sends them on the occasion of uh, this content of what's going on in the church of Colossae. And so he sends it back because of the occasion, what was going on. So part of the work of rightly interpreting occasional letters is understanding what's the occasion. <laughs> that, and that's part of the mission, that's part of the, the challenge sometimes when you read through books like Philippians and, and, and Thessalonians and, and there's issues going on in the church. You're trying to understand underneath kind of a lot of it. Galatians is like this. What is the kind of false religion that Paul is confronting with this letter? Because then it helps you understand the point that he's trying to make. So, the occasion for the writing of the book of Philemon becomes clear as you read it. There's something that's gone on with this Onesimus that has occasioned or provoked this letter from Paul to Philemon, who is there in Colossae. Evidently, Paul knew Philemon. It's uh, likely that uh, maybe Philemon had come to Ephesus at some point, they think, while Paul was preaching there. Paul was at Ephesus for a couple of years ministering. Maybe uh, Philemon had come over, heard the gospel message along with Epaphras, and they go back and, and, and are instrumental in starting of the church at Colossae. He's well off, and we know, that, we know this about Epaphras because Paul talks about uh, in the beginning of the book of Colossians about the involvement of Epaphras. That's how they heard about the church at Colossae because Epaphras had come to them. And Philemon evidently is this well-off Roman in Colossae. 
He's probably got a house church in his home. He's got a, he has the grounds. He's well off. And as a result of being well off in this culture at this time, he had bond servants is what the ESV calls them. It's often translated slaves. He had household employees, those that he basically owned their lives and that they worked for him. They were his bond servants. They were there to serve the family, to serve the household. And it's clear that Onesimus is one of these individuals. If you look at verse 15, Paul has sent Onesimus back no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Onesimus at one time is one of these bondservants or slaves, but something happened. And Onesimus has ran away from Colossae. He's left. He was a bondservant of Philemon. We don't really know why. There's some speculation as to maybe some of the bad things that happened between Onesimus and possibly that he um, stole from Philemon. We don't know that for certain, but Paul makes this mention, right, if he owes you anything, like possibly Onesimus stole some money from Philemon and took off and escaped. What happens while, when Onesimus is out running around? Well, likely in Rome, where Paul is writing this letter, maybe he gets in more trouble, gets thrown in jail. We don't really know. But somehow, Onesimus comes across the teaching of the gospel. And Onesimus himself hears the good news about Jesus Christ, repents of his sin, and is saved. He becomes a faithful brother alongside of Paul. Paul is in house arrest there in Rome, which means he's, not, it's, it, he's, he's able to write still, able to communicate. People are able to come in and minister to him. Food is brought in. He has some fellowship. He's basically on house arrest. And Philemon, or Onesimus, gets saved in, under the ministry of Paul. He becomes his son in the faith. And then, he, and then Paul hears this story. Oh, you know Philemon. <laughs> or maybe, maybe Paul he says, didn't I, didn't I, weren't you with Philemon when he came to Ephesus? We don't really know the whole story. But somehow the story comes out of Onesimus' escape from Colossae, his departing on unfavorable circumstances from Philemon, and he ends up in Rome and hears the gospel message. And so what does Paul do? When he writes back to the church at Colossae, he sends Onesimus back to Philemon to make a reconciliation between these two Christian brothers. Philemon, who he knew was saved, had a house church in Colossae, and his runaway bondservant, his runaway slave, Onesimus, that Paul is now going to work and writes this letter to work for their reconciliation because they are now brothers in the gospel. Their relationship to each other has totally changed. No longer of master and servant, their roles are whatever their roles are. We don't really get the idea or what know what how their roles play out uh, further from this letter. But we know that the value of their relationship is totally changed. To they are now brothers in Christ. And we know from the book of Colossians, Paul talks about here there is no, no Gentile or Jew, no slave, nor free. But Christ is all and is in all. And so Onesimus gets sent back to reconcile with Philemon. So having said all of that, that's what makes this book so incredible. 
This really is an astonishing book when you think about it. Just the fact that we have a personal letter. Paul writes to Timothy in these pastoral epistles, writes to to Titus. But this, this is incredible, this letter that has been preserved for us, a personal letter to Philemon. And what's, what's so incredible about this is that in this in a very real sense, this personal, private letter has been prever- preserved for us so that we can see how the gospel message worked through and explained in other letters like Colossians where Paul lays out lots of doctrine, no dense doctrine laid out here, but how the gospel actually puts boots on the ground in the lives of its people. That the gospel is not held as an abstract idea, but it actually makes a difference in the way you live your life to the very nitty-gritty details of who you are. There are throughout this building uh, many different opinions, many different uh, personal preferences, many different likes on a whole different variety of issues. Um, we could go around, you know, do you like sunrises or sunsets? Are you more of a sunrise person or a sunset? I know Patty's answer. She's more of a sunset, not a sunrise. I like sunrises. Thank you. Now you all know. There you go. But I like sunsets too. I don't know. So we could go around, what, what's your favorite NBA team? Watch it. Joel and I, we're, we're deep in this discussion. He's got a favorite NFL team. He's convinced he's got to figure out what his favorite NBA team is. He doesn't know. There's lots of choices. We're kind of working through them, trying to figure out his favorite. Do you like breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Which is your favorite meal? What are your favorite things in those meals? We could go on and on with kind of silly questions like this and trying to figure out what personal preferences you kind of live with. And really, there's no way to know the answer to those questions without sitting down and really asking and and listening. And having, you got to make time to have these kind of conversations and really figure out all sorts of little details about individuals' lives. You might actually have to dig for quite a while to even get to some of the questions. Sadly, I think for many, their Christianity fits into exactly that kind of category. Something you couldn't tell about them by any sort of external circumstance, but only if you got down to a lot of in-depth questions would you finally get to an answer of, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, and, and that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concept I hold to, but you really couldn't tell by anything about my life or any of my actions or any of the things that I do, it's mainly a theory that I affirm. I, I, this Jesus, I, I, I've read the Bible, I pray to God, I think Jesus is the Savior for whatever that means, but it might take a while to get to figure out that category. It's sometimes something that people confess that they're interested in, but the only way that you would know it is through a series of interviewing questions, digging down into uh, what their preferences are and all these sorts of things. It's as if We want to affirm Jesus in certain areas of our life, but stiff arm him if he tries to get too involved. I'm all all for team Jesus, but hold up. (laughs) Let's not get too active in the things of my... There are certain areas of my life that are mine. I have personal autonomy still, don't I? I mean, I'm not holy... I'm all for team Jesus, but please... Mind your own business when it comes to X, Y, or Z category of my life. And that is the way many live with their Christianity. Well, Philemon is a book about Jesus getting into your business. (laughs) Philemon is a book about Jesus getting into your business. 
And this is kind of where we've been making the point in, in the end of the book of Colossians. They go together. That all of this rich theology about the supremacy of Christ, how he's you know, before all things, in whom all things were created, before all things. I mean, all of this, this beautiful theology and doctrine about Christ and his supremacy actually has feet. It actually walks. It actually makes a difference. That's why when you get into chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Colossians, it starts talking about the Christian household, how husbands and wives, children and parents, how they all relate to each other because the gospel gets into your business. Philemon knows firsthand that Jesus is not someone you affirm with a thought or with a head nod and then stiff arm with the rest of your life. He gets to say over everything. If Christ is truly supreme, you understand what the word supreme means? It is, it is above all else, in charge of it all. Nothing greater, nothing bigger, nothing more important. If Christ is supreme, that means there is no area of your life that he doesn't get the say over. So here's some areas Jesus has the say over in the book of Philemon. Over Onesimus, he returns to reconcile with a Christian brother that he's wronged. We don't necessarily know the nature of the wrong. Something has happened that Paul has decided, and in, in, in the view of the Christian church, has been a wrong that Onesimus needs to go back and make reconciliation over. What do you do when you've wronged someone? Jesus has an opinion on that. Jesus gets the say over that. When you've sinned against someone else, what do you do? Well, Christ has something to say about that. Onesimus clearly has owned up to the wrong that he has committed against Philemon. There's clearly an admittance of his wrongdoing. That's why he is taking this letter back and going to Philemon. How is he able to even do this? Well, the gospel frees you to be honest. The gospel frees you to be honest. You can face the truth. You can admit your sin. You can ask for forgiveness, knowing that as repentance is honest, God in Christ has already forgiven you. And so you're able to go to your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, and say, this is where I've been wrong, and I ask for your forgiveness, confident knowing that ultimately that sin has been forgiven as you've confessed it to God and been forgiven by Him. How you live with the reality of your sin becomes drastically different when you submit to the supremacy of Christ. You don't persist in your sin. You don't say, okay, that was wrong, but, but I'm going to keep that sin going. No, Onesimus, in his repentance of that sin against Philemon, doesn't just persist in his sin. He goes back and makes reconciliation. He stops the sin and goes back to make reconciliation. How many of our sins do we just make excuses for? Do we just say, well, you know, that circumstance was difficult, and so therefore... Jesus doesn't have supremacy over this issue in my life. Uh, this is a sin that's kind of okay. Or uh, this is a sin that everyone really commits. You know, I mean, look around at the culture around us. Everyone's living that way. So, you know, yeah, Jesus doesn't like it, but I'm not sure he has supremacy over everything. He does. He does. And that's what we see in the book of Philemon. He has supremacy over what Onesimus does with his own personal sin. More than that, Jesus has supremacy over how you respond to someone who's wronged you. 
Philemon, this is an incredible outworking of the gospel in this example. Evidently, even in the mind of Paul, uh, Paul has in his, in his head that it would be just, or, or at least um, worldly okay, for Philemon to hold wrong against Onesimus. I mean, there is some sort of wrong that's happened here that Philemon could hold Onesimus responsible. Either have him jailed, either fine him, uh, I don't know, put him to death, I'm gonna cut his hands off for stealing, I don't know what. There's some sort of punishment that's justifiable against Onesimus uh, that Paul even agrees to because Paul's having to write about it. Sending Onesimus back, he might encounter punishment for his crime. There's some wrong that has been suffered that Philemon would have reason to get restitution for, to get back some sort of penalty. But Paul himself stands in almost as a type of Christ himself. And he says, if there's anything Onesimus owes you, put it on my account. It's, it's, a, it's a very subtle picture of the gospel, of this substitutionary atonement, of what Jesus has done for them between God the Father, between them and God the Father. God, Jesus has worked as a mediator and said, and said to the Father, whatever sins that are held against them, count them towards me, that they might be reconciled to you. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Paul says to Philemon, whatever Onesimus has against you, count it towards me. Count out towards me that you too might be reconciled. It's a display of the gospel. Paul offers to stand in for Onesimus in order to work reconciliation between the two parties. So the application we could ask from there is, how forgiving are we? How many grudges do we hold on to? There's a beautiful gospel illustration. The message of a mediator standing between us the offending party, and God, the offended party, and paying the cost to bring about reconciliation. Paul writes exactly this in the book of Colossians. You can see how they're related here. In this command for what the, the Christian is to put on, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The obligation, that obligation is a natural response to the truth of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, where we hear about this work that Christ has done. We, verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we are the offending party, dead in trespasses. What's happened? God has made alive together with him, speaking of Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in Christ. The letter to Philemon is a working out of the concepts that we read about and learned about in the book of Colossians. So we learn that as, as the offending party, we ought to seek to stop our sin and make reconciliation with those that we've sinned against. 
as the offended party in Philemon, we learn that the gospel makes a difference there in that we ought to forgive others even as we have been forgiven. Thirdly, I think what's fascinating in the book of Philemon is that we learn that Christians enduring, enduring trials, the supremacy of Christ rules over Christians as they endure their trials. He has this incredible perspective on, on, on Onesimus in verse 16 of Philemon, verse 15 and 16. He says about Onesimus, For this perhaps is why he was parted for you, from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. This, this wrong has suffered. Something has gone wrong in Philemon's life in this relationship. Something has gone wrong. And Paul says, why could it have gone wrong? So that something better might result. Something's gone wrong so that something better, so that you can have him back more than just as a bondservant, but also as a beloved brother. He has this incredible perspective on this abandonment. It's possible that the reason why Onesimus was allowed by God to depart, to part from Philemon for a while, was so that Onesimus could return and be a far better service as a fellow brother in Christ. The supremacy of Christ means that his followers can rest, trusting God's providence, that even in the harm of various types that you endure in your life, God is working for your ultimate good. Even in this harm that's suffered by Philemon and his transgression of Onesimus towards him, Paul is saying, even in this, God is working for your ultimate good. In all of these ways, we see the gospel getting into the deepest details of a person's life. It's to say nothing of all the revolutionary thoughts that are in this book on the relationship between bondservants and their masters within Christ's church. Paul has already mentioned um, that there's no distinction between slave and free in Christ's church. And this letter is a further working out of that reality. So all of these things are tied up in the book of Philemon. But how? How, how do we get there? How, do our lives bear the obvious work of Christ? Do they reveal the obvious work of Christ? Is Christ something that is revealed about us if someone asks enough deep, thoughtful questions? Or is the reality of Christ so supreme in our lives that it is a thing that has worked out into every area of our lives? How do we get there? Well, look at the opening. I think this prayer is fascinating that Paul makes for Philemon. The opening prayer, there are a couple of important things to recognize about Philemon that produces this boots-on-the-ground revolution of the supremacy of Christ. And the first is just his genuine conversion. The first and most important necessary factor for the impact of Christ upon your life is genuine conversion. That you truly have seen yourself as a sinner in need of God's mercy and grace. Paul gives thanks. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This love for Jesus and his saints, the faith that is in Jesus. There is a genuine conversion that has happened in Philemon. How can this gospel put boots on the ground? By actually converting people by actually bringing sinners to an understanding of their sinfulness and to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think we should jump over this consideration too often. I think we do too much. 
to, to think about. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 warns us to be diligent to confirm our calling and election. Work hard to make your calling and election sure. We should not be afraid to ask ourselves about our genuine conversion. Am I trusting Christ in this? Am I repenting of my sin, looking to Christ as my only salvation? There's genuine conversion in Philemon. Ask yourself, is my heart given to Christ as my Lord, Savior, and treasure above all else? But secondly, we see that there is in Philemon a sharing of his faith. Now, I read that in the English, and I think they're talking about evangelism. And you can read that, right? You say, okay, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It sounds like Paul is praying that, if, that Philemon would share his faith with other people. He'd go out and witness and, and testify about uh, the gospel message. But that word sharing of your faith, it's, a, it's the Greek word koinonia, which I don't know if you, maybe you don't care about that, but it's a, it's a familiar Greek word that is often used for the church. It's the fellowship. It's the gathering of people. And so what Paul is talking about there, this sharing of your faith, is not his evangelism. It's his sharing with others of the faith. It's his community of faith. Philemon has genuine conversion and genuine fellowship in the church. He has a sharing of his faith. Paul knows there will be effect that what Paul knows will be effective in the supremacy of Christ being worked out in your life, in Onesimus' life, in Philemon's life, and indeed all the followers of Christ's life is having those that you share your faith with. Having those that you are linked arms with sharing in the faith. Just like last week, we see in this prayer this absolute importance of having those in your life who you support and encourage in their walk with Jesus and having those who support and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Do you truly know Jesus? Are you walking in fellowship with those who love and treasure him also? A truth, a sharing in the faith. If not, today is the day to trust him and to join in God's family. And if you are, then embrace all that he is doing in your life that he may be glorified above all else. Is Jesus in your business? There's no better way to live. And our American mindset is like, wait a second, I, I'm, I'm the author of my life. I'm the controller of my life. I'm the decider. I get to decide what to do. I get to decide what is important, which direction my life takes. And to give that up to somebody else seems like I don't want to know if I want to give up that control. Is Jesus in your business? There's no better way to live. Matthew 16, 25 tells us that anyone who seeks to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake truly finds it. Having Jesus in your business is the way to true life. To follow him is to find life itself. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we've just spent a few minutes looking at this book, this letter to Philemon, Father, that you would be supreme in our lives, that Christ, his work, his grace, his mercy, his love, your love for us would rule over every area of our lives. And this morning, Father, as we come to communion, 
We want to confess our sins. And that means, God, that we would be honest about the areas of our lives where we have stiff-armed you, where we have said, Jesus, we want to keep you in our lives, but in, our, in a corner. God, I pray that you would show that to be the sin that it is in our hearts, that we would repent, that we would gladly come to the eternal blood of the covenant that can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, trusting in Christ and his work that we might be forgiven so that, God, true conversion, true continuing conversion would be happening in our lives and the sharing of the faith as we eat of this meal together, that, God, we would be brought together in the joy and the effectiveness of the supremacy of Christ in every area of our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.